This is the MIT CEO Startup Connect podcast, a series that builds a virtuous startup ecosystem and brings together entrepreneurial leaders for meaningful connections and conversations. My name is Sean. I'm the co-founder of this series, and I'm an MIT alum studying business analytics and data science. My name is Vanessa. I'm also the co-founder of this series and an MIT alum as well, studying finance and analytics. So. Our guest today, Walker Williams, he is the co-founder of Fourth Wall, a top-tier merchandise company for passionate content creators. His company has sold over one billion dollars worth of products online so far, and was invested by Alexis, co-founder of Reddit, whose investment fund Initialize has also backed companies like Coinbase, Flexport, and Instacart. Walker was also the co-founder and CEO at Teespring when he graduated from Brown University back in 2011. Teespring is a crowdfunding site for custom apparel, and it made it to Y Combinator in the winter batch of 2013. Our today's topics will be covering the opportunities in the creator economy and Walker's personal stories in startups, Y Combinator, and more. Hope you will enjoy this episode. It's great to be here.、Um, you know, I fell in love with、uh, starting companies in in college, and you know, have have been pursuing it afterwards. And I made a ton of mistakes、uh, along the way. So, if I'm able to, you know, provide a little bit of insight or some lessons learned,、uh, I'm excited to do so. So, please ask questions and let me know what you all are interested in, in learning about or understanding. I've seen, you know, crazy, crazy hyper growth. I've raised almost a hundred million dollars, so I've seen that side of things. I've also seen tougher sides of things. I've had to, you know, preside over layoffs and and that side of the world as well. So,、uh, here to hopefully make sure that you all don't make、uh, the same mistakes that I did. Awesome.、Uh, you know, like we're very excited to hear.、Uh, not excited, but like we're. We just really wanted to hear about like all your ups and downs during this whole entrepreneurship journey.、Um, so maybe we can start from the very, very beginning. So the college graduate Walker William、uh, back at Brown. So what brings you to entrepreneurship in the very first place? Yeah, you know, I, I think I always had a little bit of a passion for it, even before college. It, you know, for for me, it started with playing video games at a at a pretty early age, and then. Uh, as part of video games, I would, you know, I'd have be part of a team, right, like a Counter Strike team or something like that. And I learned Photoshop to make graphics.、And、then when I was pretty young, I started doing freelance graphic design work to make money.、Uh, then, you know, was designing websites but couldn't actually make them, so I started to try to learn how to code.、Uh, ended up, you know, learning some more sophisticated programming languages and dabbling around with like video game development. Uh, so I, I sort of knew pretty early that I wanted to build things and that I liked the process of of building companies. And then in, you know I, I had all sorts of ideas that I tried to you know to like various levels of effort while I was a, a student at at college.、Uh, and basically you know after four or five failed attempts, everything from you know I had a college job board that was part of a, an incubator and. Raised a tiny little bit of money. I, I, there was a local bar at Brown where I went to school, and it was the bar that every student went to on like Wednesday nights. It was like famous. It was called the the Fish Company,、uh, and you know I, I don't I don't think it was actually a restaurant. It was just a, a gross cheap bar. And、uh, when I was a junior, the bar got raided by the police for letting in 
uh, underage students uh, and got shut down. And so the entire campus was talking about this because it had been, you know, part of like the Brown culture for 10 plus years. And uh, I decided, hey, I'm going to make, you know, try to be entrepreneurial and see if I can make a little money and, uh, you know, set something up. So I created a t-shirt website, you know, literally very basic, coded it in eight hours and I put it up online and it ended up selling, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of products in, in like 24 hours. And it actually, it made more revenue in 24 hours than the company that I was working on at the time that had a little bit of funding. It went through the incubator Then that company had made in like six months. And so I was like, whoa, there, there might be something here. And then even more importantly, uh, I got a bunch of emails from other students at Brown basically saying, hey, can you, can you do something similar for me? I've got a club or I've got a, you know, a, a, a team or an idea for a shirt. Can you make me a website like you made? And so I'd never had an idea that kind of sold itself before. Uh, and then, so basically right after that, went back to my investors in the business that I was working on said, Hey, I think I have something that is, is better. Look at what, look at this, these results, look at these emails, uh, raised a tiny little bit of money. At that time, it was a huge amount of money. It was like a hundred thousand dollars, something graduated from school and, and started working on it. And then, you know, uh, a, we were working just locally in, in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, for the first year, year and a half before we got into Y Combinator and, and went there. So basically I, I kind of was always trying ideas and, and experimenting. And then with Teespring, it, I mean, I, I kind of feel like I got a little bit lucky, but you, you can feel it when you have an idea that sells itself. You really can feel the difference in the response when people want what you have and they're asking for it. So that's how I knew that this was something that was worth pursuing. That, that is, that is incredible to hear. I think, I think actually a lot of our audience here today are students themselves and and some people are really interested in founding their first company as a student and you mentioned that you started your business while you were um, in school so I think people will be really interested to hear um, was there any was there enough support from school or is there did you did you feel like there was enough um, entrepreneurial um, community support back then when you were just getting started and how did you reach out to your first um, uh, investor? What was your initial fundraising experience? Sure, sure. In terms of support from school, I think one of the amazing things about entrepreneurship and, and building a startup company is there's so much good information out there. There's so many books that are biographies of great yeah. founders that go into detail about how they did it. Why Combinator has a how to start a startup series. There's so much free education out there if, if you're willing to put the time into it. Talks like this, right? Where, where uh, entrepreneurs are interviewed. So I don't necessarily feel like I got you know, support from, from Brown, but what they did do was give me space. So they had an independent, what they called an independent study program. And basically one of my classes was working on my, my companies and they were very supportive in that way. So I don't, I don't necessarily think I learned the skills to build a company from, you know, the school, uh, but I, but they did give me space to pursue it. And I think that was really valuable because it, I knew that it was what I wanted to do with my life. And so having that space to get going was good. Uh, in terms of fundraising, I think, you know, fundraising is a very network-based thing, which is unfortunate, right? It's not a pure meritocracy where the best ideas 
necessarily win. And so for, for fundraising, at first, what I did was through my, my early ideas, I started to meet other local entrepreneurs that were more established. So older, out of school, had a successful company. And I was, you know, asking them for advice. I was getting their, you know, getting their impressions of what I was building. And through that, I started to build a network while I was still in school. And certainly it got a lot stronger when I was out of school. And yeah. so the way that I was able to raise that $100,000, which is, you know, these days, it's, it's very, a very small amount of money in the startup world. But for Rhode Island in 2011, when I graduated, yeah. uh, that, was a, that was a big check for me. And it was because I knew the investor from the first project that I was working on. And so I was able to go and say, call him. And he, he trusted me to an extent because we had, you know, he'd seen my work and he knew from other people that I was reliable. And that gave him the confidence, I think, to sit down with me and hear me out without being skeptical. And so I think with, with fundraising, and this, and this carries through, this isn't just raising, you know, small checks. This is the same all the way through, even when you're raising tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, what matters is, you know, you need someone to listen to you honestly and, and give you the, the time of day to make your case for, for like why they should give you money. And if they don't know you and you're just sending a cold email, for instance, it's really hard to get somebody to listen to you because they're going to be thinking they don't trust you yet. So in the back of their mind, they're thinking, you know, where's, where's the scam? Where's the angle? Who is this person? Why did nobody else invest? So I think getting out there and talking to people, getting people's feedback, asking for advice, these types of things help you build a network that when the time comes where it is time to fundraise, you know people and you can go and, and you can you know, get, get their attention long enough to really tell them what you're working on. So I think it's all network-based. Unfortunately, I wish it was pure meritocracy because it, it's not really fair for people that are coming into the industry. But that's, that is just the, the reality of it. Yeah, that's very true. Like, I think uh, also for, for MIT CEO, like we have a lot of um, Chinese venture capital connections here. And actually mm -hmm. before I joined MIT CEO, I, I knew nobody. And then it's like right after you had one connection and then it just sort of started to explode. Um, and then you sort of joined this community and then people start to know more about you. Uh, people want to get actually want there's there's there will be VCs reaching back to you. Um, Definitely. Compared to, yeah, compared to like back back in the early days, you probably would really try super hard in order just to get one contact. Um, I can totally relate to that, and and I think I think that's unfortunate, but but it's a very true world. Um, yeah. So so Walker, in terms of the um, the origin story, I had one one last question for you, um, which is how did you how did you persuade your co-founders back then? like as a student? Yeah, that, that was definitely the hard part because I, I did a little bit of programming, but I wasn't nearly good enough to build the, the entire application. And so I had a couple friends uh, that were in the engineering school and not all of them you know, were interested in startups uh, and, and they, they were looking to go work at bigger companies. And so I, I couldn't convince them, but basically I said, who else do you know that's, that's smart that maybe that I can talk to and pitch on this idea that I'm working on. And at that time, it was the idea before Teespring. It was this student job board that I went through a, a local, you know, local version of Y Combinator for uh, called BetaSpring. It doesn't exist anymore. But uh, I, they introduced me to a few people. 
I tried a few times, you know, I'd buy people like a smoothie or something and tell them what I was working on and try to say, Hey, you know, give it a chance. It's, it's going to be really interesting and maybe it works. And that's exciting. Uh, everybody said no, except one person. And that person became my co-founder on that company. And then when I switched to, uh, to Teespring stuck with me and, and became the co-founder for, for Teespring. And so it was again, just getting out there, not being afraid to pitch people, not being afraid to share your idea, even if, you know, 80, 90% of people might laugh at you and not be interested, but you're going to get good feedback. And also, you know, you're, you're eventually going to find those people that do share that belief with you. So it was just a matter of uh, not being afraid to go out and pitch people on, on joining me. I see everything like from zero to one is always the hardest uh, once, but you only need that one person to like be on the journey with you. Um, I think we, we, so we want to like to dive deeper into this section. So obviously you are right now like a YC alum. I think a lot of our audiences here are really interested to learn your experience, especially, you know, like with some, uh, most of the audiences here, like not like being just students, like they want to know like how to join, like uh, how to join the network to start their fundraising, for instance. Sure. So do you, do you want to talk a little bit about like why you applied to YC in the first place and how was that experience? Yeah. And, you know, so first I was like reading the Y Combinator book and uh, I, we were in Rhode Island, felt a little, you know, R R Rhode Island's a small place. There wasn't a lot of engineers to hire the business. You know, we were seeing some good things in the business, but, you know, there, there was a lot to work on and we really felt kind of alone. None of our friends stayed after school in Rhode Island. They all went off and worked in, in big jobs. Not a lot of people were doing startups back then. It was, it, it's crazy how much it's changed. But when, you know, me and my co-founder said, hey, we're going to go and start a company, it wasn't like there was a bunch of people that were like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that too. Everybody else was, was going to, to bigger companies. Um, and so we kind of felt like, hey, we need to go somewhere where we can learn, where we can meet more people, where there's a, a better fundraising environment. We would like take the train to like Boston or we would drive up to New York to try to pitch people there. There was like no, there was no investors in, in Rhode Island. And so... We ended up applying to Y Combinator. We'd been in a business about a year that it didn't feel like a good first year. Like it was, it was a battle. Every customer was a hard fight. Things were, you know, they were behind schedule. That, nothing seemed like it was great. It's funny because looking back, you look at it and the graphs aren't so bad. It's kind of up and to the right, what you would hope for with very small numbers, but still, you know, month over month growth. But we applied to Y Combinator you know, I don't, I don't know that our application was anything special. I think they, they were in like the application examples on the Y Combinator website. I, I know our video is, uh, which you can watch. It's not, it's nothing special. We were just very honest about where we were, what was wrong with the business, what we thought was exciting about the business. And then, you know, I think that honesty plus the evidence of there might be something here because there's growth in this business. So what I, what I always tell people that are applying to Y Combinator is you need one of two things. You either need to know something that nobody else knows and kind of be able to prove that. So let's say that I'm, you know, I ran data storage for Google, right? And now I'm going to start a data storage company. I can make a pretty good argument that I know something about data storage that very few people on the planet know. And I know that there's a need in data storage. So I'm going to start a company so I can raise money without any growth 
because my background says this person probably knows something that nobody else knows. So you, you can have that, which very few people have. That's, that's hard to have such a prestigious background. Or you can have growth that can't be ignored, right? You can have 40% month over month growth for half a year, a year, so that you can say, hey, there's something special here. And even though you know, my resume isn't special, I'm just a, a recent graduate, you can, you can look at this growth and say, this person has discovered something and trust it. So I think that it was our growth. And again, this is like $100,000. It's a lot of money, but in, in the startup world, it's not that much money. But we basically bootstrapped to showing that there was promise in this concept enough for, for Y Combinator to take a look at us and invite us out to interview. Uh, and, and then, you know, it's hard to say exactly why we got in. I think it was the growth. I think we had a lot of conviction in, in what we were doing and articulated why it could be much bigger than what it was at that time, which was, you know, a lot of college t-shirts and, uh, clubs and fundraisers and things like that and convince them that, you know, there could be something here. It's worth, it's worth gambling on. So uh, it's interesting to know, like back then, um, YC actually also valued a lot about growth. Like, I think it makes sense for investors to see potentials for a startup, but um, I think Y Combinator was founded um, with a specific um, ideology where startups who don't necessarily already have sales, have, have growth, have like a product market fit can also get into YC. I think I think yeah. back then specifically, it's, it's like um, really a brand or reputation that they're trying to make out there, which is why they're really pushing people to apply anytime you want. But yeah. I guess like, I'm just wondering, uh, back in 2013, right? Like in your cohort, um, were there were all companies like already have a super high growth or um, was there like, what do you see um, among your cohort in terms of uh, the diversity of the stages of the companies? For sure. And, and I was, you know, uh, a startup school mentor for a couple of years. So I like led batches of, of companies that were looking to apply to Y Combinator and helped with the interview process some years. So yep. certainly had, had a pretty close grip on what gets in and they are unique. Like I think they, they do accept companies with no growth and with backgrounds that are, you know, pretty like recent graduate working on something with no growth. And they don't really have a resume that says that you know, they're going to be, they know something that nobody else knows about the space they're working on. But, you know, I do think it's, you have to stand out. So many people apply yeah. to, to Y Combinator that you can't, you might be lucky and apply with very little and, and you know, be chosen and co go into the interview and really impress, but you're going to increase your odds in a huge way if you can prove that people want it. And I know that for a fact. So, if, if you are trying to get into Y Combinator and you can go out there and show that people want what you have, it's gonna make getting into Y Combinator 10 times easier. So I would recommend that for everybody. In terms of our cohort, there was a mix. Uh, I think we were one of the higher reven like revenue companies. Our GMV at the time that we started Y Combinator was something like $200,000 a month. So we had, wow. we had, we were, sales were definitely coming through the platform. That's impressive. Uh, and, there were other people, a lot of people that had a little bit of growth and, and smaller numbers maybe, uh, and a few that had nothing and were just sort of building something. And certainly those people that had nothing, a good percent of them had a background that said, this person 
you know, can build this, right? Like, like the data yeah. storage yeah. manager from Google example that I gave. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and, and I think, I think, uh, it makes sense that people need to, um, stand out of, of those, all of those thousands or hundreds of thousands of applicants out there. Like, why well, see, if you think about it today, it's already growing to 300, I think 400 ish of, of a batch every year. And then imagine how many people are applying. I think, I think definitely like having some kind of, uh, um, like, something that investors would really see potential in is, is the key here. Um, and I, I think one, one last follow-up on, on the YC part is we realized that, um, actually, this is a question from our audience, um, that fourth wall was uh, actually invested by um, the co-founder Reddit, Alexis. Did yeah. you make a connection back then at YC with, with the co-founder Reddit? Like, how did you guys meet? What was the, what was the story like? <laughs> Alexis is one of the nicest people on the planet. And it's crazy because he's such a busy person. He does so many things, but he is just insanely friendly. Like he's always up for getting on a phone call, et cetera. So I think, you know, it's, it's a great example of, of meeting somebody because I did meet him at Y Combinator, but he actually didn't invest in, in Teespring. I think one round he tried, but because of other investors and, and the price went up, he ended up not being in the round. I see. We, we met each other. Um, you know, I, I got his advice. I really enjoyed his advice. So I emailed him afterwards and, you know, I would follow up every six months or so and say, Hey, here's what I'm dealing with. You know, does this, does this seem like something that you might have uh, some knowledge about uh, when he was doing his book tour back in 2013, you know, I said, Hey, why don't you stop by Teespring's offices in Rhode Island? And he like stopped his bus and came in and, you know, gave a little talk and uh, hung out with the team. So we, we built a relationship, which kind of goes back to the idea that, you know, building that network and talking to people is so important. And so what happened is, you know, he wanted to be a part of Teespring because of, uh, you know, just bad luck. It didn't happen. And so when I decided to start something new, he was the first call I made. And I, it, I didn't even have to pitch him because he knew, me and we we nice. were friends and so i said hey I'm, I'm working on this new thing it was actually something that we had talked about a little bit and brainstormed the idea for what i was thinking and he was just and he said i'm in let's do it and he's been incredible he really he really has so it's a great example of uh building a network and and you know over it was over years and years and years i would say for the first till till 2016 2017 you know, he was more of an acquaintance than a friend. Like we, he would send an email back with some advice, but it wasn't like, you know, we were spending a bunch of time together. And then after years of talking a little bit, you know, we, he came in town one time, we went and grabbed dinner. Then we started to grab, you know, dinner regularly. And then when I started a new company, he was extremely excited to be involved. So yeah, he's, he's on the board of fourth wall and is a, is a good friend. Wow. Um, feel like Alexis is really a, like an example of like how you should build like meaningful connections and network throughout your like professional or entre entrepreneurship career. I think that's like also like the vision of our Startup Connect series, which is to like try to build an ecosystem that allows those like inspiring entrepreneurs to like try to know each other and build like a network that can lift each other up. Um, 
So one thing I do notice is like that, like throughout your 11 years of entrepreneurial journey,、uh, there's like one commonality across is that like you have been very much dedicated to like building out support services and tools to content creators.、Uh, I think that's like a very interesting topic because like right now, like in the middle of a pandemic. We definitely see that there is this like emergence of like interactive media platforms, so which makes that content creation being like a very trendy topic. So we wanted to like delve deeper into like the creator economy space. Sure.、Uh, so first of all, like let's start small. Like、uh, Walker, how do you stay on trends? I you know I don't know that I I stay on trends <laughs> as well as I should. Like we have a bunch of people that are like TikTok creators on the platform. But I'm I'm too old for TikTok. I can't. I don't know. Like you know what I mean. I I watch a lot of YouTube. I watch Twitch.、Uh, of course, I use Instagram. So I don't know that I necessarily stay on trends. But w- what I recognize is that underlying all of these things is these are these are new forms of entertainment, right? And if you look at the dynamics of fan bases underneath that, it's remained relatively constant. So are the tools that we provide. They work, you know. We have big musicians that use Fourth Wall, like Cardi B, her store and all of her albums. They go through Fourth Wall, and we also have YouTubers that use it that have, you know,、uh, an older audience. And we have people on TikTok that use it with with very young audiences. But the things that work to help those people be successful are relatively constant. They're they're a little bit different, you know. Some platforms donations and tipping is huge. Others memberships like Twitch subs is huge.、Uh, other platforms merchandise is the big thing. Obviously with with Cardi B, music sales and digital albums are are huge. So small differences, but there's a lot of commonality underneath it. And and my passion, I'm like a product person, so I really love building consumer products that people are going to use. And I love taking things that are. Complex, like like、uh, like you know, certainly Shopify makes it easier. But if you've ever tried to set up a Shopify store and figure out your manufacturing and your supply chain and your customer support and sales tax and all of these things, it's it's pretty damn complex. And so I love taking things that are very complex and saying, can we make this easier? Is can we use processes? Can we use technology and make this you know five times easier or ten times easier? Uh, and I think that's been my career is is looking for those opportunities, both Teespring and Fourth Wall. That's that's fascinating. I think I think doing startups is like trying to think about an entrepreneurial solution to solve a complex problem that、uh, are troubling people in their daily life. And I think for for content creators, for sure, like、uh, how do they merchandise their content? How do they monetize their、um, valuable、um, productions? Of their opinions or thoughts or life sharing, I think this is super. This is like the essence of doing startups, in my opinion.、Um, like Walker, you mentioned you mentioned Twitch.、Um, did you try to talk to Justin Kun or Michael Sibel to like team up? Because I'm I'm pretty sure Twitch <laughs> for those live、uh, gamers, they they need merchandising stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely.、Uh, so you know. We work with a lot of Twitch streamers. I, I try to be really conscious about saying too many of of our clients because you know I want their permission before I mention them. But we work with a lot of、uh, top twenty Twitch streamers,、um, and and I do talk to、uh, Justin and have shared the idea and gotten feedback、uh, 
Uh, and he he's awesome as well. And I, and I love his YouTube channel. He's doing such great things. And he's Michael Siebel, I haven't talked to you in, in a while, but uh, I talked to him a lot more in like 2018, 2017. For a while, I was thinking maybe that it made sense to go into do Y Combinator again with fourth wall. In the end, I decided against it, but talked to him as part of that. And he was, he was there yeah. also when I was going through Y Combinator. He wasn't the head of Y Combinator at that time. But he had sold Social Cam, which was one of the two. It was Twitch and uh, Social Cam were the two offshoots of Justin TV. Yeah. And Social Cam was actually the first sale, so it was like the big prestigious thing back then. Not not Twitch, and so spoke to him as part of that. And and they're both amazing, and just shows that now you know Gary Tan as well with his YouTube channel. There's yeah. such great content out there on building a company and the, the challenges you face and the dynamics. So yeah, so definitely a huge fan of, of those guys and, and what they've built. Yeah, yeah. And, and just for, for, for information for our audience, um, um, Justin Khan and Michael Siebel were uh, the co-founders for Twitch. And Justin Khan now is um, doing online um, sort of a content creator. He himself is a content creator right now on YouTube. And Michael Siebel currently is the CEO at Y Combinator. And also Gary Tan, as Walker mentioned, he's an early investor at Coinbase. Um, and all of these folks are from the YC um, connection. I think I, I, like it's really amazing that you mentioned like you guys are in contact where, while you were building fourth wall. And then um, it's just um, like, as you mentioned earlier, network is, is just great <laughs> once you're in it. Um, so I guess the follow-up, one last follow-up question is, Walker, what do you think will this whole industry change in the next five to 10 years? Like, as we, as we talked about, TikTok is emerging. Um, there could be the next TikTok, just like when Instagram hit the market uh, during the time where Facebook was, was the biggest player. Yeah. Uh, how do you stay um, on this um, whole merchandising and online marketing or uh, personal website branding kind of business um, to sort of support content creators in the long run? Definitely. I do think it will change rapidly. The, the change in entertainment with the sort of formation of, of the creator economy has been crazy. You know, it, it, 20 years ago, entertainment was dominated by, you know, traditional celebrity, like movie stars, TV stars, musicians, and, you know, literally in a matter of 17 years, this, this industry that people thought of as like the TV and movie world, Hollywood, which was people thought was, you know, unbeatable. 17 years later, more Americans watch uh, YouTube than they watch TV. Uh, and, and it's grown at a crazy rate since then. So there's just been this insane transformation of the entertainment that people consume. Uh, and, and I think it will continue to change rapidly. Like the growth, the growth is so astounding because it happened so fast and yet it continues to grow in a big way. And now, you know, being a content creator, is one of the top aspirations for, for youth. So it is this pretty crazy evolution of a space. Our, our goal at fourth wall, you know, we, we've really started with shops and stores, but our goal is to basically make the business side of being a content creator easier. And so if that changes, like for instance, you know, what are all the things that we can make easier from like setting up and managing a business so that someone who wants to be a YouTuber or a TikToker they can focus on creating the content. They can focus on engaging their fans and things like setting up a store, setting up memberships or allowing donations. That's the easy part. So 
even if let's say for some really strange reason, you know, selling things to your audience became not something that people did. I think that our, our platform and our product, we would just focus on what was the right, uh, you know, what were the channels that people wanted to set up for their fans to support them? Cause I think fans are always going to want to support people that they love and creators that they really resonate with. And so we just need to provide a platform that makes that easy for creators to allow. So obviously right now uh, we have around 50 people joining us today. Um, so we, especially like we try to like select people who already have like their ventures or like sort of have their ideas forming in their brain. Um, so um, basically most of our audiences here, like they're aspiring entrepreneurs right now. Uh, so we want to close this section with like one final question. So like what tips would you give to our fellow early stage startup founders? That's, that's really broad. You know, I think it, <laughs> it's tough to answer because there's, there's so much. It really depends on, on what stage of the journey you're at. You know, I, I think that probably the biggest thing is that it's such a long journey and it really is, it's pretty exhausting, right? It's not always going to be fun and easy. There are fun and easy periods to it where it's, you know, you feel like you're on top of the world, you can't lose. And I think it's, it's a rush. Like it's hard to beat that feeling when things are going well, or you get a huge customer or, you know, you close the fundraising and it's at a higher valuation than you expected. That, that feels so good. And that's part of the energy of, of building a company, but there's also periods that are, are really low, right? Where you lose a huge customer or the fundraising doesn't happen and they, everybody passes and you're wondering, how am I going to do this? And I think the only way to be able to continue to build a company and, and stick through those tough periods is you really have to love what you're doing. So that's, that really does come down to the idea. And so I think, you know, experimenting with ideas and when you do have an idea that you think might be good, talk to a bunch of your friends about it, your smart friends and say, Hey, what do you think of this? You know, whatever. I want to build uh, shops for, for creators. Do you think that's a good idea? And then they might ask some good questions or push you, but experiment a little and, and look for that feeling that it's a product that sells itself, something that you really believe in. And when you talk to people that are your target customer, they really want it. Because if, if you don't love what you're doing and have a lot of belief and conviction in it, it is going to be so hard to fight through those tough periods and, you know, go eight, 10 years. And, and, you know, if you look at most companies, every once in a while, there's a company that everything looks like it's good the entire time and it shoots up. And those are the ones in the news. And uh, so you hear about them the most, but Oftentimes the companies that are successful, it's the people that keep going. The company that's probably the, the most successful out of our batch at Y Combinator is a company called Fivetran. And it's a, it's a, I, I'm going to mess it up because I think they've actually pivoted from when I, when I got started, but they were not the company with the, the most hype coming out of our Y Combinator batch. They barely had any hype. Uh, and, and the companies with the most hype were probably like Teespring, Zenefits, which is, um, now the founder of Rippling, his the, his previous company, and both of those companies like are are smaller than Fivetran today, but the founders of Fivetran were had deep conviction in their idea, and even though they didn't get huge rounds of funding or a ton of interest right after after Y Combinator, they stuck with it and they've built an incredibly valuable company uh, over time. So that's my biggest thing is if you're just getting started, 
make sure you, you love what you're doing. And if you don't love what you're doing, you know, experiment, you don't have to be stuck to one thing. Uh, if, if it's not sort of what you feel like you can do for a decade. Awesome. So it looks like passion is like the first element that you will ever need and uh, sort of having an open mind and trying to experiment with your friends, uh, just try to test the market a little bit and then persistence. Uh, those are like the three main elements that you would need as you go through like the ups and downs of your entrepreneurial journey. Definitely. And there's different things at, at different stages, but I think the first thing that you should look for is, is this something that I'm in love with doing? Do I love building this company? so that you have the energy to keep doing it even when things are tough. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Walker, for uh, this session. I think this concludes our uh, guest sh uh, sharing section. And now we're gonna open up the mic to the audience for a question and answer. Um, so for this Q&A session, uh, Mindy and Stella, uh, who are my colleagues, will be leading the section. So Mindy and Stella, floor is yours. Hi, Walker. Uh, I'm Guo. I'm a PhD student in MIT. Uh, I want. I have looked at the Teespring story online before yeah. this time. So I, I was really interested. Like around 25, 2015 or so, Teespring had a had a really hard time. But then yeah. this year, it's becoming really good again. So I want to know what pivot pivot did Teespring did at that moment, and what are the important strategy at that moment to make Teespring reborn or become good again. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So I think, so, so the heart of it was that Teespring went through a period of crazy, crazy hyper growth, like grew 20 times in six months, right? To, to tens of millions of dollars of sales a month. And what happened is all of that growth was built on the back of Facebook. And it was almost, it was almost unexpected or unplanned. And so the company grew crazy, crazy quickly and we scaled everything up uh, to, to meet that demand, including all of our costs, right? And we, were bare, we weren't really thinking about making money at that stage. We were just trying to say, you know, holy crap, how do we ship twice as many products next month as we did this month? We need to keep up. And so we increased all of the costs in a crazy way. And then without, without getting into details that I, I can't share too much about, basically that Facebook business, which was all of this hyper growth, stopped very quickly. And so the company went from like crazy hyper growth, as much funding as, as we could, you know, desire, like there was more capital than, than we, when we needed available to like, oh crap, the growth has stopped. And actually there's like a little bit of a, a decline. And now how the hell are we going to like get money? Plus we're losing a lot of money each month. What are we going to do? And, you know, there's no, there's no easy answers. This is why I said earlier, you have to love what you're working on and, and believe in it. Because I think that most people at that stage probably would have, would have said, Hey, you know what? Let's, let's, let's stop. Let's, let's go home. This is too much. Uh, and, and maybe shut it down or sold it for very cheap or something like that. We really believed in, in what we were doing. And so we decided to keep after it. And it was a number of things. One was reducing cost. So, you know, it's, it's a horrible part of running a company, but I had to oversee multiple layoffs. I, I had to let hundreds of people go and be there and, and talk to each of them. And, and that was terrible. And then the other thing was taking a step back, trying to take a breath in like a very stressful time and saying, what, what is working? So it, there's a lot of bad things, but what are the good things that are going on? And do they, do they, does it seem like life will get better? 
over time. And that's exactly what we found that even though this big line of business from Facebook, basically Facebook ads uh, had basically hit a wall, there were other lines of business underneath that that were doing very well. And so what we had to do was focus on those lines of business that were doing very well and get those to start growing very rapidly so that even though the Facebook business was declining, eventually those other lines of business would surpass and exceed uh, the Facebook. So we had to make sure we had enough money for that to happen, that we were very careful about what we did so that you know there wasn't a lot of room for error. So I would say that the, like the, the Teespring story from hypergrowth to like trying to figure out what to do and layoffs and all of that. It was all about, you know, staying, believing in what we were doing and then putting a plan together of, do you know, will this get better over time? Okay. How much money do we need to do this? What team do we need to like, you know, build this into something successful? What do we do from here? So it, I think the only way that I survived that period of time, because it was crazy stressful was because I really liked what I was doing. And so even though it was hard, uh, it, I was able to keep going because I was able to stay focused and, and just say, hey, I think it will get better over time because I, I believe in what we're building. Hope you enjoyed this episode. MIT CEO stands for MIT Chinese Entrepreneurs Organization. We're an MIT student group founded in 2017. And our mission is to build a community where entrepreneurial thought leaders can learn from aspiring founders, renowned professors, and prestigious investors. Please subscribe to our Startup Connect series for more content like this. And follow us on Spotify, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you.